Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 22. The book of Proverbs and chapter number 22. The book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And as we're searching for wisdom, we find that the book of Proverbs has lots of verses that just give a thought, give some wisdom that we could process, that we can mull over. The idea of a proverb is that it has a big truth wrapped up in a concise form. There's something about being concise to be able to deliver truth in just a bite-sized way that people can chew on it, that they could process it. And in the book of Proverbs, we find a warning given to us in the book of Proverbs chapter 22. The book of Proverbs chapter 22, and notice with me in verse number 28. The book of Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 28, the Bible says this, remove not the ancient landmark, which thy fathers have set. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark that phrase that we find in the book of Proverbs chapter 22? The book of Proverbs chapter 22, and notice with me the phrase, remove not the ancient landmark. Remove not the ancient landmark. And with this, we're going to see what the Bible says and then how we could apply it. Remove not the ancient landmark. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God, a God that we can trust, a God that we can depend upon, a God that we can be guided by. I'm asking that today that we would give wisdom and discernment from your word and understand that there are certain landmarks that you have placed down that we're not supposed to move or alter, set aside, topple over, or to adjust. That you place these landmarks here for us to be guided to you and to the truth and to what is right. I'm asking that you would give much wisdom and discernment today, that you would fill me with your precious spirit, that you would open up your word in a special way, and that you would draw your people close to you. And if there's someone who doesn't know you as Savior, that they would be drawn to a real God up in heaven who's willing to forgive them of their sins. Thank you, Lord, that we could trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Remove not the ancient landmark. What is this talking about? Well, remember that we live in a modern world, so we have modern conveniences. We have surveying equipment. We have iron pins, we have computerized records, fenced. Uh, we have all of these things that help kind of mark things. Max and I were talking earlier that he had found a blueprint for our church and was marking off the parking spots that we have, that we have a little bit more parking spots than we thought we did according to the blueprints. Wonderful. Well, those blueprints allow us to be able to mark clearly what our territory is, what, what is our part. 
Well, back in the ancient world, they didn't have a record system such as that. They didn't have computerized models with a GPS that could easily outline. So what they would do is that they would have little markers or big markers made out of rocks or stone that they would put together. And it would be the boundary that my property goes from that stone to this stone to this stone to this stone. That was clearly marking my territory, my markings. Now, that was going to be very important because a thief could take the marker and move it by a couple of feet and actually steal some of that land. So it was a very big deal for someone to take that ancient landmark and to readjust property lines. It was something that would cause great confusion. It would cause something that would cause a great controversy. That moving that landmark would cause people to be at arms and fighting. For example, if someone stole a couple of acres of land from someone, do you think someone would get kind of upset about that? Absolutely. If someone decided to go to your lawn and to your house and say, you know what, I'm going to annex some of this just uh, for me. And it's not the city taking it, it's just some neighbor who says, this is now mine. We're moving the fence line. Wouldn't you have an issue with it? Absolutely. And so this has been always important to God. God has always been about personal property and giving inheritance for people to make sure that the lands that they had was always going to be part of their family as an inheritance forever. And so the warning here as a practical idea was don't be adjusting these lines. These lines have been set. These have been put here for a reason to mark a border. Now, when we start applying this to the spiritual realm, we know that God has set some uh, marks up, some ancient landmarks that cannot be adjusted. Because if you adjust these ancient landmarks, that spiritually it's going to cause confusion. Spiritually, it's going to cause conflict. Spiritually, it's going to cause people to uh, not want to fight or to fight, to give up. There's going to be all kinds of reactions. And God says, don't move these ancient landmarks. What are some spiritual ancient landmarks that have been put in the ground that God has said, don't change? What are some landmarks that if they are adjusted will drastically change the Christian life that God expects us to live? If you don't mind, let's go through three specific landmarks that God says cannot be adjusted. Don't touch the ancient landmarks. Leave them alone because when you adjust them, it affects the Christian life, it affects people's faith, and it affects people's response. What are three ancient landmarks? First of all, turn with me to Psalm 12. Psalm 12. The first ancient landmark that we are going to find, the spiritual ancient landmark that God says, don't touch, don't mess with, don't adjust, we'll find in Psalm 12. And this ancient landmark is the landmark of God's word, the landmark of God's word. Don't change the ancient landmark. Don't adjust the landmark that God has set forth. Notice with me in Psalm 12, and let's look together in verses 6 and 7. Psalm 12 and verses 6 and 7. Notice in Psalm 12, 6 and 7, the Bible says, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. What is this first ancient landmark, the 
landmark of God's word? Well, in Psalm 12, we could see there are two aspects to it. First of all, we find the purity of God's word, the purity of God's word. In verse number six, it says, for the words of the Lord are pure words. Then it gives an illustration, a, a picture in someone's mind to kind of illustrate the purity of God's words. He says, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now in the ancient world, and by the way, we still practice this uh, process today just chemically. In the ancient world, whenever they wanted to purify a metal like silver or gold, what they would do is they would melt it down. Now different elements have a different melting point. This is why it becomes so effective. So let's say that we had silver. They would find the melting point of silver and they would turn the temperature to that, that, um, temperature. As the silver would begin to melt, what would happen is that all the other impurities that have a higher melting point would rise up to the surface. As the silver would become liquefied, the rest of it would still be solid and they would naturally rise to the surface. Then what would happen is that the person who was working with it, a silversmith, would take the top of it and scrape it off. That scraping would be called the dross, that extra waste, the impurities of it, and they would scrape it off. Then they would let the silver cool. Then they would do the process again, that once again, they would melt it down to the temperature that silver melts. The rest of the impurities that were not melted would rise to the top of the molten silver. Then they would scrape off the dross. And the idea was, is if they went through this process seven times, that you would have as much of a pure product as you could possibly get. And so to the ancient world, uh, a piece of metal, a silver, that had gone through this process seven times was as pure as you could possibly get. So as God is relating this to the ancient world, he starts off by saying the words of the Lord are pure words. Meaning that when God gave us the Bible, they are his words. Man did not write the Bible, that God wrote the Bible. We call this process inspiration. The word inspiration carries a literal meaning of God breathed. And that the same breath that God breathed into the Bible or breathed into Adam to make him a living soul is the same breath that God breathed into the Bible. The Bible is a living book. It is not like a newspaper or a comic book or your favorite novel or an encyclopedia. Those things are dead books, meaning that you could get all the information and squeeze it out that you possibly can. All of us have a favorite book or movie or whatever else that you've watched so many times that you could repeat the line. You've, you can't find anything new in it. Well, that Bible is not that away. You could read your Bible a hundred times and still find something you never saw before because it's a living book. You could read your Bible over and over and God could speak to you about what you need for that day. It is a pure book. It is the words of God. God gave us this Bible. This was not a book written by man. It was not adjusted by man. It was a book by God given to us so we can know who God is. And so it starts off with the purity of God's word. And verse number seven, we go on to the preservation of God's word. Notice with me in verse seven, Psalm 12, verse seven, it says thou. Notice there's a pronoun here. So when we see this thou, we need to find out what is the uh, noun that this replaces. That's what a pronoun is. Thou shall keep them. Here's another pronoun. 
O Lord. So notice we have a person of direct address. Thou shall keep them, O Lord. Who is that thou there? It's God. This would what we would say is an understood you. For example, if I pointed to someone and said, you go close that door, you would understood that you were the person being addressed. It is the person of direct address. You go close that door. Here it's saying thou, which is you, you shall preserve them. Does it make sense? Now we come to this them. It's another pronoun. What is being referred to? Well, whenever in English or language, you're looking for what we call the antecedent. That's a big fancy term that says the noun that the pronoun replaced. You usually look in the context. Well, the immediate context in verse six, the words of the Lord. That's the subject that's being addressed. We haven't switched subjects. So what is still being addressed? Thou, God, shall keep them. Thou shall keep the words of God. Notice in verse 7, when we talk about preservation, that whose job is it to keep God's word? It's not man. It's God's job to keep his word. That if you give it to man, we're going to mess things up all the time, which has been the big argument that man messed up the Bible. Man couldn't keep the Bible. Yeah, if it was left up to man, absolutely we'd mess it up. But it's not left up to man. God uses human instrumentality, but God is responsible of keeping his word. May I ask you just a theoretical question? Does God have a different Bible in heaven than we have down here? No, God has preserved his word and that the Bible that we have here matches what he has in heaven. The Bible says that his words are up in heaven. We know that we have the same Bible. It's not different. It's not altered. It's not messed up. God was able to preserve his word. Thou shall keep them, O Lord. Thou, God, shall preserve them, God's words, from this generation forever. Here we have the idea of preservation, that God promised to preserve his word. Now, when we're talking about the ancient landmark, what is the ancient landmark? The ancient landmark is that God gave us his word and he preserved his word. And that we can't move this ancient landmark. People attempt to do this all the time. They attempt to say, nope, God did not write God's word. Nope. Man is the one who messed up the Bible. They're trying to adjust this. And when they adjust the landmark, there's fights. There's conflicts. When they adjust the landmark, it confuses people. When they adjust this landmark, it affects people's living and livelihood. Just like if someone was to move your fence line and take away your land, there's going to be conflict. This is one of the reasons why we get a little bit upset when people start messing with the word of God. For example, the newest Bible out right now is the pirate Bible and it's being advertised all over. So if you want to talk like a pirate, you could read the pirate Bible. Now we look at that and we go, they've been messing with God's landmark. God said, don't move it. By the way, what kind of audience is a pirate? All it is is an entertainment Bible now. It's not a serious thing, but yet it's now a best-selling book. People are advertising and buying it in bulk now. We could see that people have been messing with the ancient landmark. They've been taking it and adjusting it and it's causing conflict. It's causing confusion. It's causing people to not understand what was going on. Don't mess with the ancient landmark. If people know that the Bible is God's word and we could trust it, then they would read it and look for answers. But if they're confused and say, I'm not sure if this is God's word. I don't know how much man has messed with it. Then they won't be able to trust God's word and they won't be able to be guided by it. 
This is why God says, remove not the ancient landmark. Don't mess with these landmarks because when you do, there's confusion, there's conflict, and it messes people. We want people to be able to say the Bible and they know what we mean, that it's God's word that God preserved and we can trust it. Don't mess with the ancient landmark. It is God's job to preserve his word. If you don't mind, there's a second landmark, a spiritual landmark that we cannot mess with. It messes up entire Christianity. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 2 John. The book of 2 John. Remember, 2 John is towards the end of your Bible. So the last book of the Bible is Revelation. You turn the other direction, Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John. So at the very back of the book, so if you found the maps, well, you're at the very back. Keep turning the other direction. Get the glossary. Get, finally get to the book of Revelation. Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John. So notice with me in the book of 2 John, and we find another landmark that God says, don't remove, don't touch, don't mess with it. What is this landmark? This landmark is the person of Christ. The landmark of the person of Christ. Don't remove the ancient landmark. Notice if you don't mind the warning that God gives in the book of 2 John. 2 John, and notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 7. 2 John, verse number 7, the Bible says, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Notice the conflict is over the person of Jesus Christ. That there are many deceivers who are trying to tell people that Jesus is not God. They're trying to mess with the Jesus of the Bible. The Bible here declares that person as an antichrist. Now the word antichrist, the way that the apostle John uses it, doesn't refer to the person of the antichrist that shows up in the tribulation. The word antichrist here, the word anti doesn't mean against, it carries with it the idea of replacing. So the person here who's a deceiver is replacing the Jesus of the Bible, the Christ of the Bible, with a false Jesus. They are adjusting who Jesus is. In this specific case, there are some people that confess that Jesus Christ is not come in the flesh. During the time of the writing, there's a big confusion that says if Jesus is God, Jesus must be a spirit because God is a spirit. Therefore, if Jesus is truly God, then he did not come in the flesh, that there was no Jesus walking around, that Jesus wasn't there, that what they saw was a spirit. Well, if Jesus is a spirit, he couldn't have died for our sins. You understand this becomes a big deal immediately, that in order for our salvation to be secured, that there had to be a shedding of blood. And this denial denies the very essence of Jesus Christ and what he was there to do. What is Jesus? Jesus is God robed in flesh dwelling among us. And we cannot amass with this ancient landmark of the doctrine of Christ, of the person of who Christ is. Notice as it goes on in verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. 
He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he is both the Father and the Son. Verse 9 becomes very important. It says that the basis of our fellowship, the basis of what we do is the doctrine of Christ. Again, without Christ, we don't have Christianity. Without Christ, we don't have salvation. Without Christ, we cannot live the Christian life. He is the center of everything we believe. And when we start messing with Jesus and we replace the Jesus of the Bible with the Jesus of Nashville, the Jesus of Catholicism, the Jesus of the cults, the Jesus of whatever else, we're taking away who Jesus is. And God says, don't mess with Jesus. Don't move with that ancient landmark. When we start messing with Jesus, it causes conflict. And it causes confusion and it causes people just to say, well, then I'm not going to pay attention to it. It messes with everything when you start messing with the person of Jesus Christ. Notice how bad the warning is, how detailed, extreme this is dealing with the person of Christ in God's perspective. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number eight, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, which doctrine? The doctrine of Christ. Receive him not, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. That phrase Godspeed is our expression of God bless you. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. So here's a scenario. You have a knock in your door. Hello, have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints? Well, do the Mormons have the same Jesus that, of the Bible that <laughs> they do not? They have messed with Jesus. The Mormon Jesus is <clears throat> not the Jesus of the Bible. He is a Jesus that is equivalent. His brother is Lucifer. And that if you're a good Mormon, you'll become God of your own universe and a brand new Jesus will come to the earth that you are shepherding and guarding over. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. They've messed with who Jesus is. Hello. Yes. Have you heard the good news that Jesus is the first created being and that he is not God? We're Jehovah's witnesses. We're witnesses of Jehovah. Do they have the same Jesus of the Bible? Not at all. And so the Bible is very clear that we don't allow them in our house. Why? Because we cannot tolerate this doctrine. We cannot uh, uh, put up with the doctrine. We're not even to condone the doctrine that anyone who brings them into the house when they say, hey, I'm Mormon, I'm, I'm um, of, of uh, <laughs> Latter-day Saints, I'm of Jehovah's Witness, we know that they don't have the same Jesus of the Bible. The Bible says don't even allow them in your house. You said that's extreme. Yes, that's extreme because we're not supposed to move the ancient landmark. If you say that you're a Christian and you are entertaining with Mormons, it confuses people. It causes conflict. It causes all kinds of issues. You don't move and mess with the ancient landmark of the person of Jesus Christ. That we have the Catholic friends of us. The Catholic friends say that Jesus Christ died, but it was not enough. That in order to help him with salvation, you have to get baptized, you have to do this, and they have seven sacraments. Well, the Jesus of the Bible said that when he died, it was enough for all of the world, and nothing can be added to it, nothing can be taken away from it. Whatsoever God doeth, it shall be perfect. That what God did was perfect and satisfied. There is nothing that can be added to it that doesn't have the same Jesus of the Bible. 
and that we have to be careful that when they come to tell us this doctrine, we can't allow them into our houses. We can't even wish them God bless you because God cannot bless someone who is teaching a wrong Jesus. That's how extreme God says about not moving this ancient landmark. Don't move the ancient landmark. Now, verse number eight is even scarier when you understand the context. It says, look to yourselves. That's a way of saying, watch out. Warning. Be careful. Look to yourselves. Watch out. That we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. What things could we lose? Our reward. What reward? The reward we get during the millennial kingdom. Remember that as Christians, we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account. And when we give an account, we're not going to be judged for our sins. We're going to be judged for our service and what sort it is. Did you know that you could actually lose some of those rewards that you earned? How do we lose those? By messing with this ancient landmark of the person of Christ. May I give an extreme example, and I know I'm recording, and I'm going to get hate mail from YouTube, but who cares? Let me give an example. The Reverend Billy Graham legitimately preached the gospel. Praise the Lord for the influence. Millions of people came to know Jesus Christ as his personal savior because of the efforts. He wrought a good reward, a lot of rewards to be earned for winning that many people to the Lord. However, during his crusades at the end, he began to have Catholic people who don't believe the same gospel, don't believe the same Jesus, come preach at him. He used to allow Catholic people and other different cults to start working the altar. Now, can someone who doesn't know Jesus as their savior tell someone how to get saved? Absolutely not. Did that cause confusion? Someone who got saved and said, hey, I used to be Catholic. I came to know Christ as my savior. What church should I go to? And Billy Graham said, go back to the Catholic church. Do they teach the same Jesus? No, they don't. And you understand this advice because he moved that ancient landmark, even though he may have been preaching the right gospel because he was associating and allowing people who moved that ancient landmark. Did it cause conflict? Did it cause confusion? And did it cause issues within Christianity? Absolutely. And so the Bible said, because you move this ancient landmark, be careful that you don't mess with it because you can actually lose those rewards and lose part of those rewards that you legitimately earned in service for Christ. This is how much God said, don't mess with this ancient landmark. If you move this ancient landmark, if you adjust it, you are causing problems. And you're going to lose part of those rewards because you cause the problems. God goes to the extreme where he says, we're not even supposed to say, God bless you to those people who are teaching a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. One of these ancient landmarks is the person of Jesus Christ. Let's hit a third ancient landmark, if you don't mind. We talked about don't remove the ancient landmark. And that we said one of these ancient landmarks is the word of God. That we can't mess with the word of God. It causes conflict, causes confusion. It causes people to lose their faith. We can't move the ancient landmark of the person of Christ. When we move that ancient landmark, it causes conflict, it causes confusion, and it causes people to lose their faith. There is a third ancient landmark that the Bible says that we can't mess with. You don't adjust because when you do, it causes conflict, it causes confusion, it causes people to lose their faith. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
What is another ancient landmark that God said don't mess with? In the book of 1 Timothy, we see that the Apostle Paul is writing to a son in the faith. And in this, he begins to give a testimony. If you don't mind, what is this third ancient landmark? This third ancient landmark is salvation through Jesus Christ. This third ancient landmark is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 17, the apostle Paul gives his testimony. Now remember, a good testimony has three parts. Class, you should be familiar with it, right? The first part is what my life was like before I came to know the Lord. The second part of a good testimony is how I came to know the Lord. And the third part is what my life is like now that I know Christ is my Savior. What is different about my life? In the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 1, we see the Apostle Paul gives his testimony and we can clearly see all three parts. And here he is talking about this ancient landmark in his own life. That if you move salvation, it messes up and causes confusion, causes conflict. It messes things up. How do we know Jesus Christ? Notice if you don't mind as we're looking through here, this ancient landmark of salvation through Jesus Christ. Notice the first part of Paul's testimony. Paul's life before Christ. Paul's life before Christ. Notice with me in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, who was before a persecutor, who was before injurious. Now look at this. We can see that what his life was like before. That's part of a good testimony. What was his life before? Well, before God... Uh, he got saved, Paul was not a good person. What was he before? He was a blasphemer. What is a blasphemer? A blasphemer in this context is someone who didn't recognize the works of God were from God. That God had brought salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that God had put together what was called the first century church. And the Apostle Paul, who was a very zealous religious man, a Hebrew person, did not understand what was going on. In his mind, he knew Jesus Christ. And we have a message on that you can look up later on. How Jesus Christ and Paul, Paul was actually about uh, a couple years, about the same age as Jesus. So that means that when Jesus Christ was at the temple at age 12, when he was answering questions and, and baffling the doctors, the apostle Paul was already there. Saul of Tarsus was there to get training. And his teacher was Gamaliel, Gamaliel, the greatest Hebrew teacher of all of history. And he was there. Gamaliel was some of the, would take his master student of Saul. Hey, this kid comes every year and he knows all about the Bible. You need to meet him. And that Paul and Jesus knew each other as young men. They crossed paths many times. He'd watched what happened. But then the worst thing that ever happened in Paul's mind is that Jesus died on the cross. The Bible is very clear in the book of Deuteronomy. Cursed be any man who is hung upon a tree. Well, Jesus Christ was hung upon the tree, the cross of Calvary. And in Paul's mind, he said, this doesn't compute. Why would God curse his Messiah, 
There's no way that God would curse his Messiah. That's not what Messiah is supposed to be. He can't have the curse of God. So therefore he rejected Christianity and salvation through faith. And he grew very bitter and angry with everyone who did believe in it. He thought he was doing God a favor by getting rid of Christianity. Imagine that. He didn't recognize the works of God. So this led to a second part. Not only was he a blasphemer by not believing the works of God were from God, but he was a persecutor. Notice if you don't mind, it says, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor. He would actually go to people's houses and drag them out of their own houses so that we could be killed. That is pretty amazing. He would have them be arrested for believing Christ. This led to his third part. He says, before I came to know the Lord, let me tell you, I was a blasphemer. Before I came to know the Lord, I was a persecutor. Before I came to know the Lord, I was injurious. He actually, that word injurious deals with the spirit he did it in. He hated people for following Christ. He saw Christ as an impossible poster. And because of that, he hated those people. That's pretty bad. Before I came to know the Lord, I didn't recognize that what God was doing. Before I came to know the Lord, I persecuted people. I dragged people out of their own house and I thought I was right in doing it. I allowed people to be killed. Before I came to know the Lord, I was injurious. I hated people. I wanted them to die. Can you imagine someone having that much hatred in their life before I came to know the Lord? But then guess what? Something amazing happened. And we say the second part of the testimony, Paul's life was saved by grace. Notice at the end of verse number 13. He says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly ignorantly in unbelief. He says, before I came to know the Lord, I did my actions. It was not in belief of God. I did it ignorantly. I didn't have enough knowledge. There was things I didn't know about. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He says, before I came to know the Lord, I was a blasphemer. Before I came to know the Lord, I was a persecutor. Before I came to know the Lord, I was injurious. I hated people. He says, I was ignorant. I didn't have enough information. I, I, I did the best I could, but it was wrong. My best was wrong. But Jesus Christ came to me and he showed me mercy. And there was a point in time where I saw Jesus face to face. By the way, the apostle Paul goes through his full testimony in the book of Acts 22. This is just a quick testimony, a quick little statement of what his life was like before, what his life, how he came to know the Lord and what it was like after. He said, when I came to know the Lord, Jesus was plenteous in mercy. He was exceedingly abundant with faith and love. By the way, Jesus is. That no matter how bad you messed up, Jesus is willing to take you. No matter how bad you failed, no matter how righteous you thought you were, Jesus is willing to take you back. He's willing to take you. So much so that in verse 15, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. You know, there's plenty of faithful sayings that's not for everyone. 
He says, this is for everyone. This is for everyone to accept for themselves. That Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. He says, I had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he saved my sorry soul. And by the way, he'll save anybody's soul. It's worthy for every acceptation. There's no one who's an exception to this. Jesus is willing to save anyone. Your only qualification is you got to be a sinner. As long as you're a sinner, Jesus can save you. And he says, by the way, of whom I'm chief. He says, I was a rotten scoundrel and God saved even me. Then notice he goes to the third part of his testimony. What his life was like after he came to know the Lord. What his life was like after he came to know the Lord. Notice with me verse 16 and 17. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice this. He says, before I came to know the Lord, I wasn't patient with people. But after I came to know the Lord, I realized how long suffering God was to me. He says, before I came to know the Lord, I didn't have enough information. I was wrong. But then after I came to the Lord, God used me to show a pattern of how much he loves sinners. He says, before I came to know the Lord, I was a blasphemer. Now under the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Now I'm no longer a blasphemer. Now I'm pointing out who God is and I'm glad to share who God is. What is the ancient landmark? The ancient landmark is that Jesus Christ saves. And he saves completely and there's nothing that we can do. And he could save sinners and he could save anyone. And we don't mess with the ancient landmark. That when we start messing the ancient landmark of salvation, what happens that people get confused. There's conflict and it causes people to lose their faith. Don't mess with the ancient landmark. And yet today all three of these things are under attack. People are attacking the word of God like never before. That there's all kinds of people who are saying the Bible is not the word of God. In fact, we're at a time that has been just unbelievable. We're at a time where it is a rarity. A small group of people believe that God's word is God's word. Imagine that. After all of these centuries, we've now reached the time where you're a minority if you believe that God's word is from God. They've messed with the ancient landmark and there's confusion. We are not better off for it. They've messed with the ancient landmark of the person of Christ. And today it is very common for people to replace the Jesus of the Bible with a different Jesus. And it has caused things to be worse and not for the better. As they've messed with the ancient landmark. That we have to study the Bible and see what God has to say about himself. And stick and agree with the Bible. That you cannot get your doctrine of Christ from Hollywood. You cannot get your doctrine of Christ from Veggie Tales. You cannot get your doctrine of Christ through the gospel radio station or the Christian thing or YouTube. You cannot get the gospel or of who Jesus Christ from somewhere other than God's word. And then we cannot mess with the ancient landmark of salvation. And that's been under attack so many times. Whether you have universalists that say God will not send anyone to heaven that, or to hell. Everyone's going to heaven. Universally saved. Well, that's not true. 
You have people that say that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was not good enough. You have to add to it. That's not what the Bible says. You have people that says in order to prove that you're saved, you have to speak in tongues. That's not what the Bible says. You see that they've messed with these ancient landmarks and it's caused conflict. It's caused confusion and it's caused people to leave their faith. And the Bible says, don't mess with these ancient landmarks. We have to recognize that God's word's true. That's where it starts. When you no longer believe God's word's true, then you start messing with the landmarks. That's where it's all based off of. If you don't trust City Hall to keep good records, then okay, fine. Well, then I can move the landmark wherever I want. I can move my fence line. Who's going to keep track? Who cares? It causes confusion. It causes conflict. And it causes people to lose their faith. Don't move the ancient landmarks. In fact, we have a responsibility to guard these ancient landmarks and say, we're not going to move them. We're not going to allow them to be moved. We're going to stand right here and allow these landmarks to be where they've always been at and allow God to do his own work. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.